Damian Chase throwing on the run, and it is caught. Touchdown, Keenan Allen. What a grab. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's the Warrior spirit right there, boy. Huge sack by Joey Bosa. 90-yard touchdown. 90-yard touchdown. It's going to be picked off at the 8-yard line by Derwin James. Herbert sets his feet, takes a shot downfield, has Knighton. Caught. Touchdown, Chargers. That's the greatest throw I've ever seen. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Thunder Down Under Chargers podcast, opponent series part two. Andy Prophet here as your host, joined by Jack Reed in Adelaide. How you going, mate? What's new? Yeah, nothing too much, mate. Um, sort of into a third week of term three. It's always a good term. It's the downhill term. So in sort of not really enjoying very, very cold and wet weather here. Um, so, so I'm all rugged up this evening. But uh, no, very excited. My fiance is coming home after eight months working and living in Tasmania. So cannot wait. Super, super excited here, mate. Thank you. Fantastic. Awesome to hear, man. Um, be good to have her home, no doubt. And in Melbourne, alongside me, Alistair Lloyd. How are you, my friend? What's new? Not much. My fellow charges Fruit Loop. I'm going very well. Uh, looking forward to a couple of things. We've got uh, measuring up the groomsmen at my wedding. Uh, we've got a measure up of suits coming th uh, this weekend, which will be good. And I'm just about ready to move into my new home with my fiance. It's been a seven-month renovation, and we're about two weeks away from the big move. So lots happening in our lives and also lots happening in Chargers land for us to get stuck into. Oh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, I'm off to the farm for a little bit of a country getaway myself this weekend, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Well, thanks to both of you again for joining me uh, to help wrap up our opponent series. We're a tick over halfway through training camp with um, plenty of t interesting tidbits looming as we head into week one of the preseason. Uh, and of course, we'll be running through uh, our AFC West rivals today and the three other opponents we face, the Miami Dolphins, Cleveland Browns and Atlanta Falcons. Before we jump in, as always, thanks to all of you out there tuning into the show. Uh, we're delighted to have you on board uh, every week, every episode. I know we speak to our YouTube listeners often, but don't think we don't see you, you audio listeners as well. Uh, if you're one of those downloads in Belgium, Germany, Spain, Italy, the UK, Mexico, Jamaica, Honduras, and Nigeria, yeah, we're, we're very big in Nigeria. We appreciate you, <laughs> even if you are a bot. Uh, and of course, our US audience, uh, guys from Bolts from the Blue, Tao in Virginia, Kevin in Atlanta. Kyle in San Diego, and the 30 other states we can see you tuning in from. Uh, without you, we'd have no show. So uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, and if you have the time and, in, and are enjoying our content, uh, feel free to leave us a rating and review on whichever platform you're listening from so we can reach other like-minded, legendary individuals more easily, a.k.a. any Charger supporter out there. Uh, same goes YouTubers, like and subscribe, leave a comment with your thoughts. We love interacting with you guys. We're keen to hear all your thoughts on the topics. All right, so last time we spoke, um, Jack, since, since uh, yeah, we last spoke about the training camp, what have you seen that's either trending up or down, getting, getting your juices going? Well, I opened the show or this segment last week with this man, and I think I have to open with him again. It's the plumber. It's the man with small children as biceps. It's uh, Zion Johnson. 
from what I have been able to see, and and I think Alistair's put it eloquently very um, uh, before in previous podcasts, is we don't have the opportunity to be at training camp and 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 see the guys in action, but we do live vicariously through a lot of the accounts we follow on Twitter, Twitter, and seeing lots of videos. So so thank you for those people who provide that content to us because it's it's keeping out the home fires burning in uh, in Australia. So yeah, Zion Johnson, the guy looks incredible. Uh, I think we've found uh, touch wood. I won't jinx him, but we found our Zach Martin. I think we're going to have oh. an absolute weapon on the inside and we're going to have a weapon on the outside. So our hopefully offensive line prospects are looking very, very positive for the foreseeable future. I uh, got to a little bit of a scrap with SJD, which I thought was quite good. Uh, I'm pretty sure the defensive line was saying, go at the rookie, go at the rookie, beat him, beat him. Um, but healthy competition and SJD seems like a pretty fun guy, but I wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him. So, yeah, for me, Zion Johnson, love to see him. Um, and just can't wait to see him out in the, on the field. Whether he plays in the uh, practice matches, I'm not sure. Al, what about you? Uh, I agree wholeheartedly, mate. It looks like a wonderful pick. And our approach to t- team building is starting to reflect the approach taken by some really successful teams out there. The one that springs to mind for me is Howie Roseman and the Eagles, where they seem to get ahead of needs in the year when they know a player who's a starter is coming up to hitting free agency the end of their contract and here we've seen that with Zion Johnson we draft him we draft uh, Jamari Solia and at the end of this year Matt Filer becomes a free agent and that's how you have that consistent pipeline of of young players ready to assume starter roles it's just brilliant Um, something I've noticed is that the moment uh, I open my mouth my big fat trap and talk about the lack of injuries and the strength and conditioning and all this training stuff. Oh, God, they're fantastic. Next minute, we've got soft tissue injuries to Donald Parham, Trey McKitty, uh, Mark Webb, Drew Tranquil, uh, still recovering from a groin. But that's okay. The soft tissue stuff, I don't mind so much. And the reports are all of them are fairly minor injuries and the type of stuff. We don't need them playing in preseason games anyway, those guys. But uh, just something to note, it's an inevitable part of training and getting ready to play the regular season, there could be some contact injuries there, but nothing too serious. Uh, unlike some of our division rivals, uh, we'll get into that later, but they're dropping like flies in the AFC West. And I have not shed a single freaking tear. Yeah, well, I hope you've learnt your lesson for the uh, the first part of all of that, and we'll move on. Thankfully, yes, touch wood. They haven't been uh, too severe. And um, I don't know if you should be so kind of happy celebrating other injuries it's a bit of bad juju as you yourself know all too well anyway move right along what i'm really pumped to uh to be seeing and hearing out of camp so far is i'll keep it just to this position but it's it's endemic in in all the the depth position battles is that the right tackle battle seems to be bringing out the absolute best in both storm norton and trey pipkins and i know it's uh it's it's too much almost to get any excitement out of that, but it's really good. Um, they're, they're both sharing first-team reps. Uh, I think Pipkins is slightly ahead, but look, if they're both balling out, then all you can do is give them a shot and give them an opportunity, and who knows what kind of off-season off they've had. Uh, we've seen other other players um, that we'll get to uh, who have just shown up to camp uh, looking like completely different athletes. So, um, yeah, look... Don't write them off, but it's good to see. Um, and yeah, a lot of the, a lot of those sort of uh, third, fourth, fifth wide receiver battles, um, uh, the 
the hierarchy, I guess, of the cornerbacks as well. It's just really good to see all these guys performing so highly um, because they're being challenged. And um, there's an edge rusher that I know Jack, I'm sure, would love to talk about who's just in a in a good place uh, because of his his competition and his his the guys around him. Um, Joey Bosa is, of course, who I'm talking about. Uh, either of you like to jump on that one? You go, Alistair. It's all yours. You uh, you posted about him in the chat the other day, so yeah, well, very eloquent there. Well, it's it seems like he is in a really good place, both mentally and physically. And uh, it was it was apparent to us that you know, hearing him speak about his body, it seems like the baseline is some sort of pain somewhere at all times, which is you know, a real eye-opening reminder for us who sit at home and watch these guys and yell at the television when they're not performing up to standard that they are carrying the burden of years of playing professional-level sport. A guy like Joey Boza, who's now seven or so years into his career, is carrying stuff. But you have to take him at his word when he says it's the best he's felt throughout a training camp in his career to date. He is feeling really quite fresh and light. And he spoke on Drew Tranquil's podcast about the the toll last season took on him mentally. He said this year he's feeling like he's in a much better space. And he referred expressly to how excited he is about having Khalil Mack in the room to watch tape with him, to study other pass rushes. He was talking about how that together they've been watching Chandler Jones tape and Miles Garrett tape and picking each other's brain about their particular pass rush moves. And he kind of he referred to how it reminded him of when Melvin Ingram was still with the team. And I thought that was interesting. He he still wants to learn and continue to improve. And it seems that the uh, addition of Mac is, inspi- is inspiring him to bring his best this season, which is exactly what we want to see heading into the most important year that any of us can remember as Chargers fans. So that was my observation um, about Joey Boza. Was there anything else you took, Jack, either from other press conferences or anything else from training camp, position battles? Yeah, I think um, I think there's the rise of DeAndre Carter specifically. Andy, you touched on the, the depth at wide receiver um, and the fall of Jalen Guyton essentially to what we could be looking at as a, as a wide receiver five. So DeAndre Carter, I, I said in, in the chat that we have, you know, has the gadgety kind of intangibles that perhaps a Debo Samuel, uh, you know, shows. But I, I think he's probably more of a wide receiver. This is DeAndre Carter I'm speaking about than he is a, a running back. Mm. But um, it, it, from what from the small amount of videos that I was able to see, there seemed to be a lot more motion in training camp than I can remember seeing. A lot of end arounds, um, a lot of sort of wide receiver movement pre-snap. So I, I just think that, you know, the fact is this guy came from Washington and, and no one had picked him up and he's sort of, you know, winning that wide receiver four um, is fantastic. And, and and also to look at someone like Joshua Palmer, I, I saw enough from him last year in his route running. He's got safe hands, man. The guy's, the guy's mm. a trap. Um, and so do I feel sorry for Jalen Guyton? I, I do a bit. Um, you know, the, the ground is changing out. From underneath him, but that's what competition does. Andy, as, as you said, is that it motivates people, and we obviously want to win. So I, I don't I feel wait. too bad, Jack, because he, they're saying Guyton is still having a pretty good camp overall. Hmm. And if we use him as a deep threat, um, you know, for X number of snaps per game, that's what you want. And then if there is an injury, you've got someone you can somewhat trust to step up. It's 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 fine, I think. 
and hopefully yeah, he's comfortable I, with the role. Yeah, and I think, I, I just, as I said, DeAndre Carter just gives you more, I think, and that's mm-hmm. what you want out of a third or fourth wide receiver. You don't want to become too predictable. And if Jalen Guyton's also going to be a gunner, I, I don't know how well um, he will probably sit with that because that's where injuries occur. Um, but, yeah, yeah, anything else from you, Andy? Well, just on that, uh, bear in mind, DeAndre Carter came across to be the special mm. teams returner. So uh, he's just as in the firing line, if not more so than the, the gunner. Um, so to come over uh, for that sort of role to replace Andre Roberts and then be fighting for a, um, a more than just the depth so, uh, spot at wide receiver and the special teams values um, is testament to uh, the, the the guy that DeAndre Carter is. So good on him. Uh, we, we wish him all the best, and that's, that's really exciting. Um, Jalen Guyton, undrafted free agent. Um, I don't think he'd be upset with what he's doing. He's probably just stoked to be having a go. So um, it's just really healthy, to be honest with you. I, I didn't sort of expect to feel this way about our wide receiver depth at this point. It was something that I was just a bit like, well, what's Josh Palmer going to do? Is he going to blossom kind of thing? And, and now it's looking like he is. So it's um, it's it's really fun. And look, yeah, it's all healthy competition. Uh, another guy that I was um, talking about, uh, who and we we spoke about this uh, on the last show. This position, a guy that I was talking about, who's shown up to training camp almost like a, a new athlete, is is Joshua Kelly. Um, Coach Daly's raved about how he's shown up in just excellent condition, um, and he's really pushing. Uh, I guess he heard the call from Eckler as well, Jack, uh, mm-hmm. about you know come and get reps off me, and he's he's really fighting for that RB two. How are his measurables though? <laughs> I don't know, mate. I don't read the books that you read. His broad jump um, is not big enough. Eh, don't drag him. <laughs> oh goodness! But yeah, look. I mean, it, it's just that's just another sort of position group that's um, uh, that backup role just to help Eckler out and keep Eckler on the field more. Um, yeah, Al. Cornerback group is what mm. I want to speak about. The cornerbacks are getting me excited. DBU, Last year, I was DBU. Oh, it's it's what Staley wants to make this defense. He wants to, to be built back to do front. It. He is going to do it. He is not going to have Essang Bassi and all those kind of plotters stepping onto the field in critical games in late season scenarios. We have a we're, we're now batting at least four deep with Michael Davis as the fourth cornerback, and all you're hearing about. Uh, Jasir Taylor and Dean Leonard is how mm. they're ahead of what you would expect for someone who was drafted in the late rounds. Jasir Taylor is playing predominantly in the slot. He had a pick six of Justin Herbert today. And Dean Leonard is playing on the outside and has been winning some one-on-ones on Mike Williams, past breakups in the end zone, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, Tavon Campbell, it seems like he's really going to be battling for a roster spot now. He would possibly be the seventh cornerback. Jack, I can see, has the thumbs up for the audio listeners. That <laughs> presumably thinks it's a good thing because he is uh, an af- afraid tackler, I think is how Jack put it in an earlier episode. <laughs> yes, so th- the cornerback depth is fantastic. And JC Jackson, you are a dog. Did you hear it in the press conference? He just has the swagger and the way he struts like a really a premier cornerback, challenging Herbert, why he's not thrown his way, all that kind of stuff. Can't wait yeah. to watch him lining up on on mm. um, wide receiver ones on other teams. So the cornerbacks have really stood out to me, Andy. Uh, do we have anything else to talk about, Jack? What else? Oh, yeah. I, I guess we can't have all super positive. And Alistair, you touched on the soft 
tissue injuries, but I think the, the real soft underbelly of this whole team are, are the tight end group and the linebackers. We can see that, uh, I mean, Everett's having supposedly a very solid camp, if, if not a very good camp, but uh, the injuries in that room all of a sudden make it look very, very, very uh, dangerous. And I, I mean, dangerous in, in a bad way, not in the good way. Um, and, you know, we lose Tranquil at middle linebacker. That's a lot of speed and experience we lose too. So if he's going to be on and off the field, I mean, there's someone sitting in the wings at, uh, at the Chicago Bears that, that might um, perhaps decide to move to sunnier prospects. Uh, but realistically, is that going to happen? I'm not sure. I'm not too sure it is. But there is a very, very soft underbelly. But Alistair, you did point out that it's clear that Staley doesn't necessarily value your linebacker and your tight end as much as other positions. And I think if those are the only the two positions that we're positional groups, I should say that we're really worried about, then I think we're in a pretty good spot because you can't be amazing all over the park. I just hope that uh, our tight ends can uh, stay on the field and same with Drew Tranquil because the guy deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, got a couple of depth pieces there at linebacker with Troy Reader, but yeah, you're right. It's, um, Pretty thin at those. I mean, I don't really think that Staley's defense really values the linebacker, as we sort of saw with free agency. Um, and, uh, yeah, the tight end room's a bit of an issue. Another slight negative is that there still hasn't been a deal done with our premier safety. Um, we're assured that it's imminent and everything's going as well as possible. If it was going as well as possible, then wouldn't it be done by now? That's the last I'll say on that. Um Guys, do you have any like deep-seated feelings that need further uh, investigation on that, on on the Derwin Jones contract situation? Any plea if someone's listening? <laughs> Not for me. I mean, I I will if it's you know the the final preseason game has happened and it still isn't signed. Then I you know in the week before the first game against the Raiders, then I start thinking, okay, what's going on? Highly doubt that's going to happen. It, the only real downside at the moment is he's not out there. Uh, you know, we're not. He's not able to uh, have live reps with the rest of the defense in the position he'll be in, which is wearing the green dot and calling the plays. Yeah, maybe losing a bit from that, especially when we've got a lot of young players in the secondary. But hopefully, yep. by the time we have those joint practices with the Cowboys in a week or so's time, it's done by then. But yes, yeah. it is taking a little bit longer. But I, I'm not too worried. Um, what, what about you, Jack? Yeah, I, the same. I share the same sentiments. Uh, the other one thing I would point out is that Troy Reader, SJD have also said the language is very similar, so they're not having to learn a new language. So mm-hmm. even though there might be younger pieces that are on, on the defense that are learning new positions, perhaps if they're rookies and things, I think there are enough people now and leaders on the defense. And, you know, you add Van Noy in, in that spot too, um, who's been around a lot. So um, I, th- I think what Derwin James is missing out on the most is actually finally having pieces for him to command and and really experience players, not just one or two, but across all three uh, levels that he can go, holy crap, I can actually do my job here. So he's probably missing out on that um, a little bit. Mm. Uh, the language, maybe not so much, but please, Derwin, please sign. We love you. Yeah, that was... No doubt on on us just as much as it is him and his uh, his camp. Uh, well, if there's nothing else, gents, let's jump right into the first of our AFC West opponents. First, Andy, uh, one final scattergun thing from me. I'm upset we have not signed Ben Griffiths yet. 
all this positive stuff. <laughs> J.K. Scott is booming punts. It's all, oh, his leg is so long. He kicks the ball so hard. And he's, you know, pinning, you know, the coffin corner kicks and pinning him back. Where's our Aussie? We need him signed. So that's the only other thing I'll be keeping my eye on. Um, otherwise, I'm completely ignoring special teams apart from that. Yeah. Uh, no news is good news on that unless it's mm. – oh, yeah, well, sorry, no, actually hearing that a punter's kicking the ball more than 30 yards, <laughs> either high or long, is fantastic news. Um, I think it's visa issues that are holding up Griffo's training camp appearances, but we're not going to get in too much into that. Uh, yeah, Jack, jump right in. The, the Las Vegas Raiders, man. Righty roo to take a FTR. I didn't introduce them properly. Of course, yeah. those guys. Family trust respect. Uh, I've taken a little bit of a detour over what uh, perhaps some of the listeners were li- uh, heard in the first opponent series. I did a little bit of research and I found a Bleacher Report article from 2017. And that was outlining the strengths and weaknesses of the Raiders. You know, five years ago, um, it was penned by an author called Maurice Moton. So thank you for for that. I'm going to use some of your words here. What I'm going to do is I am going to give you the positional groups from all the way from QB to special teams. Uh, I'm going to say to you whether you think off a first glance or look or or what you understand of the Raiders this year, whether that positional group is a strength, is a meh, or is a weakness. And what that, then what I'll do is I'll compare those uh, your answers to whether they were seen as strengths or weaknesses in the 2017 season. So sort of, yeah, kind of a bit of a different way. So uh, Andy, I'll go Andy and then Alistair for each one. Andy, quarterback room, do you see that as a strength, a meh, or a weakness? Uh, I'm going to say a meh. Um... Alistair, what do you reckon? Meh. Cool. Two mess. So in 2017, that was seen as a strength. Derek Carr. And ideal, arguably, you could probably say that Derek Carr is a top 15 quarterback, which makes him, you know, puts him over that Dalton line if I'm going to take something from the ATL. I'm going to say it's a strength. Uh, listen, I'd rather have Derek Carr than not have Derek Carr. So interesting. Nothing much has changed from uh, from 2017. Anyway, um, Andy, running back, strength. Meh or weakness? Uh, strength. Al? Strength. I really like their running back room. Mm. Me too. I, I think that's a strength. Um, and they've continued that for because in 2017, that was seen as a strength as well. I think Kenyon Drake gives them something really interesting. Um, he's a great runner. Uh, Josh Jacobs, I think, is in for a breakout year too. Uh, Andy, wide receiver room. Strength, meh or weakness? Uh. It sort of has to be a strength, doesn't it? Yeah. Alistair, what do you reckon? Yeah, the same. If they cop an injury, in, the depth isn't great, but it's a strength. Hmm. Yeah, 2017, that was a strength as well. Bizarrely, I'd, you'd almost call it they're probably stronger, I would say, than they were in 2017. I think Hunter Renfro is a poor man's... Uh, what's his name? Cooper Cup. Edelman. There we go. Poor, yep. poor man Cooper Cup. He's a little better than Skoronic, who's another sort of He's white a route great runner. route runner, Hunter Renfro. Fantastic, yeah. yeah. Hunter Renfro. Um, incredible because he looks like a guy that works in IT. I, I just I just don't get it. 
Actually, Mike uh, Williams was going on about him today. They both played at Clemson, and he was saying he, he was this walk-on white guy where they're like, who the hell? And the coaches were yelling at the defenders, like, why can't you guard this 35? Who is this guy? He's a zero-star recruit. He was embarrassing everyone, and now he's doing it in the NFL too. Yeah, he's embarrassed us on a couple of occasions. Oh, yeah. Um, which is unfortunate. All right, uh, tight end, uh, Andy. Strength, meh, or weakness? Uh, strength. Strength. How? Yeah. Darren Waller is pretty good in there. Foster Moreau, Jacob Hollister. I mean, Darren Waller could be could could take the mantle of one of the top three tight ends this year. I agree. That's a strength. It was a weakness in 2017. So they've they've done all right there. They've they've improved in that five year window. Uh, Andy, offensive lines, strength, meh or weakness? Alistair? Weakness. Weakness. Shocking. Worst in the league, perhaps. Oh, to the point where uh, they are dropping off like flies. And whoever's if, left is pretty unreliable. If listeners can remember the fan post that I said, oh, it's all about flexibility. We're playing players in all sorts of spots. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw Travon Walker uh, absolutely destroy the offensive line in the Hall of Fame game. So, yes, uh, strength five years ago, which is interesting. I'll be a little yes, bit Yes, it out. was. It was good, wasn't it? It was. It was very powerful. Road graders, as they say. Mm. Uh, defensive line, Andy? Strength. Oh, big strength. I think it's a weakness. Yeah, I'm so. Gonna... Look, actually, no. What? Sorry, I'll say the edge is a strength and the interior is a weakness. Okay, and I think that's what you were picking, Andy, weren't you? Or do you, yeah. you think? Do you think that Bilal, Nichols, Jonathan Hankins, and Vernon Butler are, are kind of there? I what don't do you look. I don't think they're a. I don't think they're a shocking set of interiors. But if you look at the, if, if we're saying that the wide receiver room is a strength because Devontae Adams is in it then the defensive line with Max Crosby and Chandler Jones is a strength in this team. Fair enough. That's Based well on reasoned. that metric, I don't I, – look, I don't, yeah, like I said, I don't think they'll, um, they'll be that bad uh, in, on the interior. I think you've got two very quick edge rushes uh, that might just shut you down too soon. The issue with their edge is their depth. Um, yeah. But I'll stick by strength. Yeah. I, I stand by weakness, Al? No, I'll change to a meh. Oh, wow, that's a that's a throwing the uh, the white glove down on for Max Crosby and uh, Chandler Jones and Jonathan Hankins. Jonathan Hankins has been a solid contributor wherever he's been. Mm. Um, Neil Farrell, not bad, not a bad pick for a fourth round. We'll fuck him up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and can I see Cleland Farrell anywhere? I, is he is he still is he still floating yeah. around? Cleland he's Farrell, fighting yeah, for he's, a spot. He's fighting kind of for edge a depth. spot. Um, and you've got Kyla Fackrell, so if Chandler Jones goes down, enjoy that, Raiders. Enjoy Kyla Fackrell because uh, he was hardly on the field for us last year. Uh, last couple, uh, linebackers, strength, weakness, or meh, Andy? Um, oh, really teetering on the edge of strength almost. Uh, Ooh, okay. pretty, pretty good run defense. I'll say meh. Yeah, I'll say I'll meh. S- I'll say meh as well, Andy. I'm with you, though. There are some upside picks where, if you know, Devine De- – uh, Diablo shows himself to be a gun. There's there's room for growth. Jayon Brown, not a bad pickup too, but but yeah. meh. Yeah, I, I I think it's a good bit depth. So mm. yeah, good depth. I mean, they'll be solid. But they're I mean, be good. Yeah, they're okay. Uh, DBs, Andy. Mm. Oh, I'm gonna say it's a weakness. Yeah. yeah. I think for, I think they're going to, yeah, sorry. Sorry, I'll let you answer, Alistair. Yeah, I agree. Go on, Andy. Weakness for me. Yeah, I just think if if you've got a good O-line, you can really pick apart this secondary. Uh, 
if you get you're good in the pass protect, I think they'll struggle against the sort of wide zone, a lot of play action stuff. Um, you got a few young guys, and uh, look, picking up Rocky Sin as well. Uh, and I don't think he ever really became what um, what he'd be. So yeah, I, I don't really rate this secondary. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that's a bit of a weakness for them too. And just for the listeners, defensive line, linebacker and DBs were all weaknesses in 2017 too. So they've improved the linebackers a little bit. Uh, they've definitely improved the defensive line. Yeah, they line. had a shocking a defense a good shocking. while ago. Yeah, so they've done all right there. So that's kind of um, where we're sitting. It's kind of meh. There's some really shining lights on this Raiders offense that I think it's going to be. It's going to make it tough for us it's in certain Points in the two times that we play them. Uh, the biggest thing we probably haven't spoken about is the John Gruden retirement, shall we say, or removal, <laughs> maybe is probably a better word. And the Mike Mayock experiment did not work. So see you later. Go back to evaluating talent on TV, Mike Mayock. I don't uh, think he'll Dan- get his job back either as the main <laughs> draft analyst. Daniel Jer- Jeremiah has taken that and run with it. Sorry, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, enjoy sipping on margaritas. Uh, Mexico probably won't even have you, John Gruden, because of your uh, some of the comments you made. Anyway, uh, McDaniels, <laughs> McDaniels comes in. Uh, uh, Mick Lombardi comes in as the OC. Patrick Graham comes in as the DC. It'll be interesting to see how McDaniels runs this organisation because he's just had a sledgehammer come through in John Gruden. He can't, McDaniels can't be the same guy he was at Denver. He can't be the Belichick. He's got to... Apparently, he needs to sort of, he just needed to learn how to talk to people, which I found a bizarre comment to make for a leader of an organization a couple of weeks ago. In their ago. mid-30s, yep. In their mid-30s, yeah. So, to be honest, I'm just going to open it up now, folks. Um, anything from you, Andy, that, that you see from the um, from the Raiders that interested you? Uh, I'm really interested to see uh, what Patrick Graham is going to do with this defense. Uh, he, he runs some, some pretty... Pretty funky stuff like a three-three-five, and he'll he'll throw a lot of a uh, lot of different stuff at you from the the line, and he's going to need to. Um, and yeah, I'm just I'm I'm interested. There's a lot of talk about the offense uh, in Las Vegas, and um, yeah, I I just want to sort of focus on on the defensive side of the ball and, and what's going to go on there. I think that's going to be quite interesting. And the pairing up of Max Crosby and Chandler Jones is really going to test um, the metal of. Uh, Rashawn Slater and whoever wins our right tackle battle. Al? Yeah. On that defense point, they've they've gone from a team that played cover three 61% of the time last year under Gus Bradley and were the least blitz-happy team in the NFL, 32nd. They only blitzed on 12.1% of downs. They switched to Patrick Graham, who's a bit more exotic, as you said, although he does work in some cover three stuff. So it might not be the biggest transition, but... We hope it makes them a little bit weaker than they were last year. Having to learn a new scheme always takes a bit of time. A couple points I'll hit quickly. The first is uh, they've already lost four players to this, for the season to injuries. So Kyla Fackrell's mm-hmm. out for the year. Micah Kaiser's out for the year. Denzel Good, their starting right guard, retired unexpectedly a couple of weeks ago. And then Brandon Parker, their, their right tackle, who was whooped by Trayvon Walker in the, the um, Hall of Fame game mm-hmm. the other week. In the unfortunately, he's torn his ACL the other day as well. So their offensive line, it looks disgraceful. They're, they're doing their best to hide Alex Leatherwood, who had a very challenging rookie year, to say the least. He already lost his spot at right tackle, moved him inside at guard, and now he might have to go back to right tackle again. Look out in week one, um, Bozer and Mack trying to exploit um, 
what looks like a really leaky ship up front. The other thing I do want to give at least some credit to is we te- tease Josh McDaniels a lot as as an organizational figurehead, but if he's still calling the plays and it's his offense, there's really no d- denying he's one of the best defensive coordinators of the last decade, I think, in my opinion anyway. He's really excelled. He adapts his system to different styles of QBs. So he had initially had the very young Brady, which is a bit more of a bombs away, believe it or not, kind mm. of operation. Then he moved to, uh, you know, old Brady, kind of ultra technical short passes, spread type of offense. Under Mac Jones, it's a lot more running the ball and screen passes. He really adapted to that new rookie quarterback. And then even with guys like Cam Newton, Matt Castle, Tim Tebow, a lot more of designed runs and mixing that stuff in. So I actually think Derek Carr, even though I, I agree, Jack, he's in that top 15, top 10 area, I think he's a pretty good decision maker as a quarterback and he does well in that short to intermediate passing game. So I wouldn't be surprised if McDaniels can really screen up, um, sorry, dial up some concepts that that work for Carr and that their offense will be fairly successful. If you have a fantasy league or you like betting on the NFL, I think Hunter Renfro is going to yeah. go mental. Mm. If you look at what he's done with guys like Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, get on Hunter Renfro overs every single week. He's going to be a problem. So so anyway, we're not sponsored by any kind of gambling agency, but there you go. <laughs> those are my two cents. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I mean, Devontae Adams is great, but Devontae Adams does a lot of his best work uh, in just sort of that, that freestyle mode. Um, you know, that connection that he had with Rogers was something very unique that you, you rarely see in the NFL. But we all know that, Derek Carr turtles up a little bit when he's feeling pressure, wherever it's from. And as we've already pointed out, that offensive line is looking very, very poor. So it doesn't matter what concept you run. It doesn't matter how good your route runners are. If you're turtling up and going, oh, pooping your pants, because in this case, pooping your pants is not cool, then I think Derek Carr might be in for a bit of a long year. So uh, I, if we're doing predictions... I'm going to say that we actually split this with the Raiders. I think we beat them week one. And I think we, I, I can't off the top of my head remember when we play them again, but I think this 13. is a 13. So I reckon this is a one and one. I think that McDaniels will have some interesting stuff for us to, uh, for them to scheme up when we come around in week 13 again. Al? I, uh, I'm actually going to be a bit more. Um positive on this one and I think the days of us losing to the char- uh, to the Raiders are over. Uh, I'm going with the Chargers to win both of these games. I just think the rost- our roster is too good at this point and yeah, I expect some teething problems with a new coaching staff and it would be a shame if we lost one of these two games. I'm backing us in for both of them. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, mate, I am on board with you. Redemption is sweet. Uh, I think a lot of new things going on early early days for the chief uh, the the Raiders. Sorry, um, we'll win on opening weekend. Our pass rush will absolutely annihilate their line, um, and we'll take the second tie in week thirteen. So, despite their improvement on paper, I think the rest of the division and the league has improved as well. Uh, I don't see a, a massive improvement despite the star power that they are uh, brought in, um, and they won't be so lucky in their close games uh, this year. So. 2-0 for the Chargers against the Raiders for mine. Al, do you want to jump onto the Denver Broncos? The Denver Broncos, yes. The Den- Denver Broncos had a seven-win season last year, ultimately culminating in their firing of uh, head coach, 
Rich Vic Fangio and making a massive, massive move to trade Drew Locke, Noah Fant, Shelby Harris, two firsts, two seconds and a fifth for 33-year-old Russell Wilson and a fourth. Wilson brought along with him the remnants of a two-year deal, $51 million contract, but he's already said that he's expecting an extension and somewhere in the vicinity of five years, $250 million is his asking price. So he's coming off a 25 touchdown and six interception season for the Seahawks. Uh, battled away with some issues too to his finger at the time. So large organizational changes for the Denver Broncos. And they bring in as their new head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, who is a quite an interesting guy. I mean, he projects as, as, as a real rah-rah, player-centric type of coach. He's grown up all around the NFL. His dad, Paul Hackett, was a quarterback coach under Bill Walsh um, from 1983 to 1985. So he's grown up around football, Nathaniel Hackett. And he spent some time with the Bills and the Jags with Doug Marone, who was really one of his first uh, mentors as a coach, um, stemming from their time at Syracuse. Had some success with Blake Bortles at Jacksonville. They made it all the way to, to an AFC title game, you'll remember. And then more recently, he's been the OC at Green Bay with uh, Aaron uh, Rodgers and calling plays there. So uh, he, he's an interesting guy and an interesting hire. It's hard to pigeonhole him because he does some outs, outside zone, runs some outside zone stuff, but then some more traditional West Coast type of concepts. So, yeah, there's, there's uh, I think there's quite a bit to be positive about for Broncos fans. Uh, I'll throw it open to you both immediately. So a question, looking at this team's roster, because there are, it looks to me that there are some strengths, there are some weaknesses. Do you think this team has a fatal flaw that might prevent them from making the playoffs? Jack. Fatal flaw. I think... The defense might not be as strong as it was last year. And I think for one of the first times in Bron memory, in, in Broncos memory, that you might see a bit of a drop off from the defense. I think losing players like Kyle Fuller, Shelby Harris, Callahan, thank you for the charges, um, and losing two linebackers, even though they're not, they weren't big in Micah Kaiser and Kenny Young. Um, I, th I think you are going to see a bit of a drop-off in, in, on that side, but perhaps the drop-off that you see um, from the defence, you might see raised from the offence with Russell Wilson. But could I be as bold to say that the biggest fatal flaw, I think, could be Russell Wilson himself? Um, I'm Ooh. not too sure. Yeah, a bit, of a bit of a big call there. I think he'll win them games, but he's now going to, he will put them in. He will also lose games for them, I think, as well. Um, that, that's a big thing to say. I, I kind of want to believe it. I kind of don't at the same time. But, yeah, I'm going to say Russell Wilson and what he's bringing to the table um, is going to be their fatal flaw. Andy, what do you reckon? Okay. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, I think there's uh, obviously a lot of new things going on. Uh, Wilson does have the familiarity with the sort of – the wide zone stuff that he played under uh, Shane Waldron with in Seattle. I think their defense actually is um, what's going to hold them back. I think they're going to get scored on last year. They were 22nd ranked in coverage. 
Uh, 31st in pass rush, and that's what they had half a year with Von Miller. Um, about, yeah, 17th in run defense. Overall, 26th defense. And they've lost a few guys in the cornerback uh, room. Um, Shelby Harris, obviously, experiencing leadership on the line. And I don't really think they brought much in um, to sort of cover that. So, yeah, for mine, it's their defense. Uh, I th- and I also, Jack, I think you've got a fair point saying it, it could be Russell Wilson just as much to blame. So, yeah, I think that's the that's a pretty sound weakness in a high-scoring division. Uh, what I'll say is I'll, I'll just jump in with the Russell Wilson comment because I maybe perhaps listeners, I might need to explain myself a little more. Russell Wilson's come to win. He's moved because he wants to win. That's his attitude. I'm... I guess when you said fatal floor, Alistair, I might have extrapolated it out a little Mm. more from just this season. So if they finish fourth, which is what I have them finishing in the division, I don't know how happy Mr. Wilson will be. I don't know how happy Mr. Worldwide is going to be with with coming last and not making the playoffs. And, uh, And I think that might come back to haunt the Broncos, that, you know that because they're not win now, as you said, Andy. They're, they're, they're just not. They just don't look. Their defense, um, you know, flashed last year. But as I said, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And Wilson's got two years until he wants to be the, the highest paid quarterback again. So I reckon that's a fatal organizational flaw. Yeah, Alistair. And to that, yeah, to that point, mate. They so they've had the ACL season-ending injury to Tim Patrick, who rumor mm. had it was fast becoming Wilson's favorite connection. Now you're talking about who's going to step up. And it's okay because Broncos fans will say, let's ride. We've still got really good wide receivers behind him. We've got Jerry Judy. um, We've still got KJ Hamler. And Cortland Sutton has a similar skill set anyway to Tim Patrick. So we're we're fine. You know what? Jerry Judy, there's some off-field stuff. There are rumors that he's quite immature. He only played 10 games last year with a high ankle sprain. KJ Hamler's back but spoke about last year, the deep, dark place he was in. He was thinking about committing suicide. His yeah, grandma died. Mm-hmm. He has, had an ACL injury. Really sad. But now you lose Tim Patrick, what looks like a serious strength on the team. And it still might be. They're skillful players. But quite a lot of pressure on that group to perform uh, all of a sudden. And the other, the other thing I want to point out is where the other a lot of the other teams in the AFC West have become almost superpowers at the edge position. Think of the charges think of the Raiders, the Broncos have Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb. Bradley Chubb, obviously, picked number one overall. He's played 41 out of a possible 65 games. He's had an ACL injury. He's had a high ankle sprain. He had 12 sacks as a rookie, but he's only had 7.5 since in three years. He's in a real – he needs to step up and be a leader on this team. And then the other side, Randy Gregory, he's played 50 of a possible 113 games. He's mm. missed games. He's had off-season shoulder surgery, so he's on the pup list right now. They say he's back for week one, but he's got that to deal with. And he's missed entire seasons for substance abuse violations and injuries. So, <laughs> so yes, quite a bit of pressure on them to perform. Uh, but, look, I don't want to sell them too short if you just look at their skill position players and their offensive line, the offense could still be pretty good. They have a deep running back room. They do have weapons at receiver. Russell Wilson, I think we'll all agree, has the ability to be a top five NFL quarterback. Oh, of course. Yes. 
And the offensive line's actually been built very well, I think, at this point. There's there's no weakness on that whole line. It's kind of all steady, steady eddy kind of stuff. So I think, you know, they'll still be pretty good overall. I I, um, I, I, yeah. I I I like their offensive line. Garrett Bowles has has been a solid. He's he's grown solidly throughout his time. I remember we were looking at him a couple of years ago in our pre-draft. Hmm. Uh, sort of stuff that we do. Um, but shout out to Quinn Miners, I think his name is. He's one of my favorites. The Belle. Uh, yeah, the Belle. And uh, this is a really weird shout out. But for those of you who play Madden 2020 or 21, Netane Mukti was always a really, really good pickup because uh, he was a starting guard within a year for your franchises. So shout out to those guys. I really <laughs> like both of them. Nice one. Uh, do you want to add anything on the Broncos, Andy, before I move to predictions? Uh, no, I've said my piece on their defense. Um, look, there's a lot to be excited about. And I think, uh, Russell Wilson will be pretty, uh, hit and miss. He'll be flashy. Um, but yeah, that's, I think I'm happy with, with what we've dropped on the, on the Broncos. So okay. on with your predictions. Oh, far away. The Chargers play the Broncos in week six on Monday night football at SoFi. And then they play them in week 18, very last game of the season at Mile High Stadium. I have us splitting. I actually have the Broncos winning the first matchup on Monday Night Football with Russell Wilson playing well at SoFi. And I have the Chargers winning the week 18 matchup at Mile High. Um, what do you have, Jack, for this one? I've got them two. Oh, no. I reckon okay. we're taking these guys. I reckon we're taking them to the cleaners. I think nice. uh, Russell Wilson will, drop, will try and do too much. Uh, in the first matchup, and then I think in the last matchup, there's going to be nothing for the Broncos to play for other than pride, which is a danger game. I I understand that, but I want to beat Russell Wilson twice. That's yeah. Right. Uh, I hope they do. Uh, I am. I have us splitting them. Uh, a win each at home. Um, yeah, I think Russell Wilson will still be able to do some crazy stuff, and we haven't fared that well at Mile High uh, in years past. So. I don't think we'll probably get slammed for that if I'm wrong, but um, one all, one all in the Broncos ties this year. One uh, all onto the Queefs. <laughs> the Queefs, the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, the 2021 saw them go 12 and five, lost the AFC title game to the Bengals 27 24, and that was incredibly fun to watch at Arrowhead. Uh, they were the fourth scoring offense um, in the league, eighth in score allowed, uh, nine, ninth overall offense, and 18th overall defense per PFF. Four straight AFC title appearances, um, two Super Bowl trips in those four years, and a Lombardi trophy to go with it. Andy Reid's a Hall of Fame coach. Patrick Mahomes is trending in the same direction. Uh, coaching coaching consistency remains again in Kansas City. No one really wants to take Eric Bieniemy up on a head coaching gig, and he seems pretty good. Just tucked under uh, Andy Reid's little wing there, um, keep it in nice and cool out of the weather. You stay there. You you just look good um, while the big man calls plays. Um, look, he's a, he's the king, innovative mind of the West Coast offense. He us, utilizes the jet sweep. And RPOs, as was as was his want, uh, with Tyreek Hill on the roster. So it'll be fun to see how he changes things up this year with the new receiving core. Um, I did like their draft hall, the sort of first four or five picks they had. I didn't look too much into the later ones, but across the board, I, 
I liked all those those players at the right point. Um, look, I, I'll, I'll jump to you guys because we'll all love to get stuck into this team. Uh, do you think what the uh, – I'll open it up to, to you, Jack. Do you think what the Chiefs did uh, in terms of who they brought in on wide receiver uh, will uh, be enough – to maintain the high octane of this offense. And just for a, a quick little snap count, um, so Tyreek Hill left, Demarcus Robinson's gone to the Raiders, I believe, and Byron Pringle's gone as well. They combined for just under 2,600 snaps. Mm. Their replacements, Juju Smith-Schuster, last time he played over 700 snaps was in 2018. And Marquez Valdez-Scantling hasn't played more than 500 snaps in a season since 2018 as well. And they've got second-round draftee Sky Moore, who looks like an absolute jet. So, Jack, what do you reckon? How how much are they, are they going to have to change a lot? Is is Mahomes going to have to change his game? What do you think they're going to have to do on offense to, to be able to maintain, keep up with the big boys in the AFC? Oh, listen, it pains me to say it, but they've gone about it the right way. I don't think you can even contemplate replacing someone like Tyreek Hill. We've had this discussion before. The guy's a freak. Um, we'll get into him a little bit later when we look at the Dolphins. So I think what they're doing is very clever. It's Tyreek Hill by committee. It's you try and make up. Uh, if you try and find a wide receiver like Tyreek Hill, you're just going to be getting like for like. So I think between Scantling Hardman, Schuster, Moore. Uh, you've still got Travis Kelsey to throw to. Don't forget about that. You've still got one of the best tight ends in the league to throw at. Who had a bit of a, and I'm just going off what I saw, had a bit of a down, a more down year um, than what we perhaps are used to seeing him. So he's, he can easily get back up. Um, yeah, I mean, they're still dangerous. Mahomes is Mahomes. The adaptability of um, Andy Reid is is easy to see across all of his tenures from Philadelphia to, to, to the modern day to, to the Chiefs now. So, yeah, it, it, it's unfortunate. I, I think they're going about it probably the best way they can. Alistair, what do you reckon about Andy's point there? Yeah, I think they'll pivot and they will do the right thing. But hmm. it, it's really uh, Andy Reid. Either Andy Reid can't help himself or Mahomes can't help himself. Very interesting to see what the rest of the league did after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. They've said, you know what, we're playing the cover two shell. Mm. We're going to make you slow march the ball up the field. Do you have the patience to do it? And unbelievably, even though they would be invited to run all the time, still last year they were 20th in the league for rush attempts. So they don't like to do it. But when they did run the ball, they were seventh for yards per attempt at four and a half yards per tote. So because they're a smart front office and coaching staff, I would be looking at that and saying, guys, if they're inviting us to run, we need to run a bit more. We're actually running at four and a half yards a carry, but we're not running nearly enough. And they probably got on the wrong side of bad luck on variance because they had 12 fumbles lost last year, which was third in the league. And that's the type of stat that is not really replicable. So mm. I think if they get on the other side of variance there and they don't lose as many fumbles, they might think they can still take their deep shots. They've got weapons. They're always going to be a pass-first team with Mahomes and Andy Reid. That's just how they're constructed. But I think they've built the tight end room and the offensive lineup enough 
so that if they need to run the ball, they can. So they don't need to be kind of beholden to this kill you quick and deep style of offensive system that worked with Tyreek Hill. It might actually be a blessing in disguise. And now Mahomes is going to be forced to play in structure a little bit more. And we might see them be a bit more of a balanced offense. Am, so I, that's right, what I, yeah. am I right to say that Patrick Mahomes over the last number of years has had one of the highest rates of interceptable, if that's a word, balls thrown? Is that right? And it just so happened that last year his his the interceptions were higher than usual purely because of just statistical uh, chance. Is am, yeah. I, am I right in thinking like that? I, I believe I'm rem, I remember reading something or we've spoken about it. I think you're right. I don't have the number to hand, but PFF grades turnover worthy plays, yeah, and Mahomes was on this golden run of having quite high turnover worthy plays, but low interceptions. Whereas the variants kind of got him back this year and he had a few more. So I think that's that's 100% right. Hmm. It is interesting. Uh, what, any other things about the Chief you're kind of thinking about, Andy? I've got other stuff to say as well. What do you reckon? Um, oh, look, you know, they got rid of their lead rushing touchdown scorer, Darrell Williams, um, brought in Ronald Jones. There's contract issues, which I love a bit of a locker room tension with Orlando Brown, who's been a, a bastard. Um, won't take it a deal, and now he's playing on the franchise tag. Um, they made wholesale changes in the secondary uh, over the offseason, the Chiefs, but on paper, it's it's actually hard to wonder whether they've actually improved this group. Um, I think, look, you, you know, you've brought in – you were talking about the, the lack of pass rush for the Broncos. I actually think – the workload that's going to be imparted on Carlos Dunlap and rookie George Karlaftis is 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 pretty steep um, in in this division, uh, especially in Spagnola's blitz heavy four three system. Um, yeah, I, I I really don't think this defense has, has gotten any better. Um, that's that's my big point on, on these guys, and I think I'm starting to worry whether they can outscore their opposition week in, week out. Uh, I, I, I'm i going to, I will disagree. I think I, I, you touched on it, Andy, that their defense, uh, their, their, their pick, their draft was very good. And I just wanted to hammer home how hateable or how, how much I hate, how good I believe their draft was. I look at Trent McDuffie as a fantastic slot uh, or nickel quarterback. I think he's, he's a, he's a day one starter. George Karlaftis, this guy was in the top five not, not that long ago, and they got him to pick 30. So I think he's going to be perhaps not a – he might not be a flashy player. He's going to work. He's going to he's going to be against Chris Jones there, wowee, and Frank, Frank whatever. But I, I think those two immediately raise a defense no matter what. You've got two first-round picks there. Yeah. Um, I look at Leo Chanel, who has injury issues at pick 94, but that was – a lot of people said he was a steal – Yep. Brian Cook at pick 62. So I disagree. I, I think that their defense might take a little longer to, to come right, but trust trust um, Spags to get the best out of those rookies, I think. Yeah, they come right by the end of the year most of the time. So even last year when we thought they were pretty bad, as Andy said, they were eighth for points against, which is really the only defensive metric that matters, right? Mm. What is your points against? Eighth. 
So very good job by their defense overall. And I'll give you kind of one set of stats for a player who's quite improved. Nick Bolton, their linebacker last year, he had 112 tackles and 10 tackles for loss. Guess how many players have ever done that since 2000? Two. No, a bit more than that, but they're players like this. Darius Leonard, Levante David, Luke Keekley, Cushing, D'Amico Ryans, Brian Urlacher, DJ Williams. So there's only been eight of them since the year 2000. What a great year for him. Mm. So yeah, pretty pretty, pretty impressive. But look, I I said a few nice things. Here's what what I'll say to close it out. Chargers fans, do yourselves a favor. Go and watch the AFC title game again. If you've got a subscription to Game Pass, it is the ultimate choke job I have ever seen. This team is up 21 points to three at Arrowhead Stadium with the crowd going mental. And then they allow a dump-off screen pass to Samaj P. Ryan to go 42 oh, yards for a touchdown. The Chiefs get the ball back and then they're at the five-yard line of the Bengals just before the half, five seconds to go. Instead of taking the field goal, they decide to run a play and Mr. Cocky Patrick Mahomes decides to pass to Tyreek Hill on a swing route five yards behind the line of scrimmage, and he doesn't make it there, tackled in bounds, clock goes to zero. The score's only 21-10 at halftime instead of what it could have been. Bengals come back and win in the second half. Do yourselves a favour. Go watch it. Chiefs are cunts. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, he's done a number of stuff there. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, look, um, uh, look, I should have prefaced what I said, Jack, about the defence by, by saying that I thought – the, the veterans that they brought in. I, I did start my spiel by saying that I thought their draft was good and I, I stand by that and I agree with your points on that. But you're asking a lot of a lot from a lot of rookies to do a lot in their first year to make this defense better than it is. And, you know, bringing in guys like Justin Reed and Lonnie Johnson, Shaverius Ward was sneaky good for them last year. Uh, Mike Hughes and... Daniel Sorensen, experience and leadership in the locker room. They've been there for a, for a good while. So I just don't think they've done that. But, hey, look, Spagnola does some cool stuff. So um, who knows? He'll, he'll probably get the, the better of them. Um, look, I, I still think that even having said all that, that the Chiefs are the team to beat in the AFC West. Um, I think it would be very uh, naive to think otherwise. Uh, in, in fact, they, they're going to push again for – a deep playoff run. Um, but I do expect inside the division to see a fair few three and three records um, across the four AFC West sides. I see us winning in week two, uh, just while this Chiefs team gets used to itself. Um, and I think we'll lose in a close one, maybe overtime in week 11. So one and one for the Chiefs for me. Jack. I'm of the same one and one, I think. Yep, you hit it on, hit the nail on the head. The Chiefs' defense needs some time to work into itself, and I think the offense does too. I think we get week two and we lose week eleven. So one on one for me. One on one for me as well. I had it the other way that we lose week two in Kansas and then win the one at SoFi, but much of a muchness. I I think even though we uh, look like a fantastic team, they're still very strong. So I have us splitting it down the middle. It's only fair on your own expectations to keep your your feet firmly planted on the ground. So what have we got after the six AFC games, just for a tally on where we're at? I think Jack's Jack's going for a perfect season at this rate. Um, <laughs> no, I've, I've been more, I've been more, uh, a little more conservative than I was last time. I'm I've, sitting I've, on 
I'm sitting on four wins and two uh, four wins and two losses. So the division, likewise, mm. cool. All four and two. Wonderful. Let's move right along uh, with our rival from the AFC East this year, the Miami Dolphins. Mm. Alistair, take it away. Back. Your one. Yeah. That's that's all right. I've, I got that one. That's okay. Um, listen, oh, what a tumultuous offseason. Um, I won't harp on too much about the blind, the Brian Flores situation and what happened there. It was really disappointing to see, and it, it's it's really sad whenever you, well, from my perspective anyway, when there's, I guess, accusations of systemic racism and that that's still occurring in professional sport leagues around the world. Um, but you know that and that that's obviously been quite destabilizing, uh, not only for the organisation but poor Tua. Um, I know that. You know, it's always going to be Tua and Herbert and we're clearly winning that battle as Chargers fans. But, you know, this guy coming out of college was, a lot of people said, was one of the most polished prospects that they can remember, the way that he could um, throw, run. I mean, he was a smaller quarterback, but a lot of people loved him. And from what I can remember hearing, it was Tua, Tua, Tua. There was, and, uh, and there was hardly anything about Herbert. So, listen, I think... The Brian Flores situation aside, the upheaval um, of, of a lot of players, I think they're doing the best to support Tua as they can. Now, a lot of it, Tyreek Hill saying, he's the best throw of the deep ball in the league I've ever had. And I'm going, come on, mate. There's a little bit of window dressing going on there. I think, I think they're doing everything they can to support him. Bringing in Tyreek Hill, obviously, is going to help any quarterback. I don't care if you're, uh, you know, Alistair Lloyd sitting out there. I reckon even Alistair Lloyd could, could uh, complete a pass to Tyreek Hill. He's an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> you, br- you bring in Teron Armstead. Uh, you bring in, you know, Connor Williams. You, you bring in an absolute suite of running backs uh, from Raheem Mostert, Sonny Michelle, Chase Edmonds, and, and the fullback in gold. Uh, you're clearly kind of saying that we're going to be a, we're going to be a gadgety team. There's going to be a lot of, um, you know, option, uh, a lot of crosses, a lot of yards after catch, I think. I don't think there'll be too many deep balls. Maybe there will be. But I think they're doing the best they can to support a guy in tour that probably hasn't had the best run of it yet. So from my perspective, um, Alistair, I'll ask you this question. Hmm. Have you seen enough from Tua Tungavailoa to say that he is a bust? Oh, no, no, no. Absolutely not. Bust is too strong. Last year, he had 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and he's a second-year quarterback, and he came into the league with issues with his hip and his ankle. So the first year was a difficult one. There's been institutional upheaval, as you've said, Jack. I think people should just calm down before they write this guy off completely. Now, there are a couple of things he looks like he doesn't do well. He converts pressures into sacks, which is a bad thing. So, And that was a skill of his at college. He, He got the ball out quickly but he, he converted 17% of pressures into sacks last year. So that's something he needs to work on. He's, we all know he has a bit of a noodle arm. He gets it out quickly, but he does, not, he does not have the wow factor as an athlete where he can run around and make plays and do all sorts of stuff. He's got to play in structure. But here are a couple of things why I think he has a chance. One, PFF have gradings on offensive line play, and they tell you that at the level the offensive line played at last year, it does not matter who you are. You can be Tom Brady. You cannot o- operate as a quarterback when your offensive line is ranked 32nd for pass blocking and 31st for, for run blocking. 
Poor guy, man. Poor really guy. didn't have a chance, right? Mm. And so, so, and I like a couple of their moves. They've got Teron Armstead in at left tackle and Connor Williams in at center. So you can expect maybe some modest improvement, or although I still think it won't be a strength. Maybe they can get out of that you can't operate in this system kind of level of shit. The other thing I'll say about them that gives them a fighting chance is they bring across Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel, we've said it before, we said it last week, runs the Shanahan system, which makes things easy for your quarterback. I see a lot of similarities between Tua and Jimmy G. They are quick processors who throw the ball quite accurately and like to operate at the intermediate level and are prone to head-scratching mistakes. Jimmy G took the 49ers to a Super Bowl and has generally got them to the playoffs each year. So with weaponry like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and Mike Gesicki around Tua Tungavailoa and a running game, lots of running backs, as you mentioned before, Jack, calm down on the claiming victories because, I look, I'm not going to say he necessarily is going to ever be an elite quarterback. I think he might have a flaw because of his athletic limitations, but I think he can be good enough to lead teams on deep playoff runs a la Jimmy G, Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr. I think he can really settle into that tier of quarterback. I've been talking for a while. But, uh, yeah, I wanted to get that off my chest because I want to poke fun at Tua, but it pisses me off, frankly, when a second-year athlete who's, you know, had an okay year last year, they won a bunch of games and had some flashes, and we're just way too quick in the modern day to judge things. We, we like we want this instantaneous gratification, and it does not always happen. Sometimes players need time to gestate and develop. Calm down on the claims. Just watch. Gestate. Uh, okay. All right. That's interesting. No, interesting I think I think he's got. There, I think he's got a good point. I think this scheme is probably going to be well, really well suited to to his uh, skill set. My issue is, and I know we spoke uh, at length last week about how much Shanahan loved Mike McDaniel and didn't want to let him go. And I think Mike McDaniel's an awesome hire. Um, they've really tried to sort of clear up a pretty ugly offseason by getting this cool guy in, and he's he's got a, a similar sort of uh, white guy swagger to the Sean McVay, Brandon Staley, somewhere in between the two of those guys. Um and, you know, he, he designed up a hell of a lot of that run game. But he and new offensive coordinator, familiar name, and face Frank Smith, our former run game coordinator and O-line coach, neither of them have called plays before. And I'm just, I don't know, it's it's all well and good to have uh, guys that fit the scheme. But if you can't pull the trigger at the right time, then things don't necessarily work out. And you can have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, Mike Kiseki, um, a better O line, pretty good, pretty good defense. They've shored up. They've you know splashed a lot of money in free agency, and I think they've picked up some good guys. But it's all going to be, it's all going to come down to how it, how it all gels on on game day for for me and these Dolphins. And I, I think there could be some growing pains, and I think it's easy to, it's fair and easy to get excited as a Dolphin fan going into the year, but. Temper your expectations. Uh, Why don't we talk about of... this um, defense for a little bit? So they, yeah, they they are a really blitz heavy team. So they were second in the league last year in blitz percentage. Thirty nine point six percent of downs they're blitzing and playing Love cover it. zero underneath. Love it. Th- but third highest pressure percentage. 
So they're blitzing and they're getting home. Okay, pressure, yeah. And you worry about losing Flores, but their DC, Josh Boyer, not much of a drop-off there. He was with the Patriots from 2006 to 2018, coaching defensive backs, cornerbacks. He's another Belichick acolyte. He was DC while Flores was coach. And they, you know, I don't expect much of a drop-off there. Um Talk to me about some of these players on the defense, Jack. Is there anyone in particular there you you really like or or think Dolphins fans should be excited about? Oh, I mean, how can you not love the duo at CB of Howard and Byron Jones? They're mm. they're they're a fantastic duo, and uh, I will I always muck up this pronunciation, but Igbina Hogne, I think his Sorry. name. I I think it's close to something like that, but Noah. Let's just call him Noah Ig. Um, Igbina Igbenomine, there we go. I think that's a pretty tight CB room. Uh, Jalen Phillips is is a lot of fun coming off the edge. Uh, Van Ginkle is, is a lot of fun too. Uh, but at DT, I think one of the stalwarts of that defense is is your Christian Wilkins. Um, and, and Ogba had a, had a really, um, you know, I think will add something to the to, to the defense this year too. So I reckon that I love it. And this is where I can use this phrase, Alistair, the amoebic defense. You don't know what they're going to look at you. Is it going they're to be running cover a lot, zero? Jack. Is, is, it, is it going to be cover zero? Is it cover two? Is it cover one robber? Is it cover one thief? Who the hell is what's, – what's going on here? So, um, yeah, they lose Flores, but you're right. Uh, with, with Josh Boyer, I think, I think they're going to be – I don't think you'll see much drop-off. Um, well, hopefully, because I think they're, they're, their offense will definitely, I think, improve. Um, but, yeah, I, with you, Andy, I'm not too bullish on them. Yeah, look, I think they're just, they're really well-rounded on defense. Um, good depth. Uh, look, you, you touched on every, every skill position. So there's not much I can, I can sort of go, go to from there. But um, look, I, like I said, yeah, I, I think there'll be growing pains, um, but they'll probably end up sort of middling around what they did last year. That's sort of eight, nine, nine, eight kind of, kind of record, I think, and, and miss. Um, I think, I'll jump in for the prediction. I think we'll we'll get the job done, and um and win this bout. Jack, what do you reckon? Yep, yep. I reckon we will win this one too. Dolphins win is my prediction on this one. Let's do this. You're gonna lose. You're gonna lose. Occasionally, you'll lose games you want to win and expect to win. And I've had at least one of those so far. And I think Dolphins at Chargers Week 14. I'm just going to pick that one as the Dolphins getting up because I think they're a little underrated and people are just, they're claiming victory a bit early on the Herbert V tour. I don't d- disagree with it. Herbert is in a different stratosphere, but I think Miami are going to win the game. What are we going to call that matchup in the future? Is it going to be like the 56 bowl or like, I, I don't know, like what, what are we, what are we going to say? What's it, what's it going to be called? Oh, Oh, five and six. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, mate. Maybe, maybe uh, all the listeners oh. can tune into um, the the coverage episode uh, the week before the Dolphins game, where we preview that game, and we can let you all know what the uh, the fifty. Yeah, we got a while to think really about called. the uh, pineapple yeah. duck bowl. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we we could call it the Melvin Ingram bowl because you know he's played for both teams. Not so, bad. Uh, anyway, yeah, we could. We can do something better than that. All right, Jack, mate, <laughs> let's roll us on with the Atlanta Falcons. Nope, that's... I've got this one, Andy. Oh. That's all right. We move right along. You're zero from two. That's all right. 
Um, okay, I'm going to start and talk about this team's 2021, which is weird because statistically they're the worst team going around. On offense, they were 26th in the in the league for points scored, turned the ball over heaps, 31st in rush yards, terrible offense. On defense, 29th for points allowed, 27th for rush yards. Third down conversion, they allowed third down conversions on 48.4% of the time, 30th in the league. And this is the best stat. They had 18 sacks for the season. 18 sacks in 17 games, 32nd in the league by a mile and also the least amount of pressures. Shocking team, yet they won seven games. So I look at that and think not a bad coaching job, Arthur Smith someone who you know, have a bit of respect for for the work he did at Tennessee. And it kind of leaves you in two minds. Does, is this a sign of things to come, that the team might improve and seven is their baseline? Or should have they been worse last year and now the floor's really going to come out from under them? So that's my question. Jack, has this team already bottom, bottomed out or is there worse yet to come? No, I think... You're selling Matt Ryan very, very short there. You're yeah. selling Matt Ryan very, very short. Now, this is the bottom out year. Uh, Marcus Mariota, Ritter, uh, listen, whoever ends up throwing there, they're not going to be Matt Ryan. Uh, no, I, I think this is going to be a bottoming out year for them. I think they've got some really good pieces. I love Grady Jarrett. Um, you know, I love my big boys inside. Um, and AJ Terrell had a sneakily really good year. He's he's bordering of the superstar club for for cornerbacks there. But no, I think this is going to be a. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, Atlanta fans. I think this will be another painful year. Arguably, you're still stitching up that wound from that Super Bowl loss, mm. which I think has had a huge impact on that organization and fans and and city. What say you, Andy? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Even though there might be some familiarity between Mariota and Arthur Smith during their time at Tennessee. I don't know if that overlapped off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, Matt Ryan was an MVP quarterback. And they had they still had Calvin Ridley last year. Um, and Russell Gage, you know, you now got a rookie uh, in Drake London and Brian Edwards. It's, it's pretty bleak. Even though you got... Um, Cordaro Patterson, um, how, how much more tread does he have on the tyres? Uh, oh, I'm not I'm not forgetting Kyle Pitts. Don't worry. I'm just I'm explaining or voicing the the, the lesser ones. Uh, yeah, I think this is this is another this is a bottom out year, and we're looking at like a four or five win kind of team. I think. I just don't well, think they can dig out of this hole. It sounds like we're all fairly down on the Falcons, a bit like we were on the Jags. Did you just say the Falcons? The Falcons. The yeah. Falcons, yes. Okay. Yeah, the Falcons. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, when we spoke about the Texans last week, we said how we thought we liked the way they're trying to build things. We didn't like the way the Jags were trying to, to handle being a cellar dweller. What do we think about this team in terms of building for the future, the draft, the moves they're making in free agency? Talk to me, Jack. You can start us off. What do you think they're going about it the right way? Oh, I mean, I, it, it doesn't feel like they're trying to do a. Listen, you know what? If, if we're going to use those two as the as the sort of the the dichotomy of the Jags, and then you've got the Texans, I think they're probably somewhere in between there. I think they're probably somewhere in between. I mean, I, I was perplexed at Drake London at at 
eight for them in the first round. I thought they might have had other needs and um, might have been looking elsewhere, uh, whether it's sort of like a, you know, a, another piece on that defense um, or perhaps looking at solidifying that line, which uh, it looks a little bit shaky um, from just a first glance. So you're a, you're a basketball man, Jack. What they've done is we're going to play basketball here. We're going to have <laughs> Kyle Pitts and we're going <laughs> to and Drake well, Love, London. We're going to box them out. We're going to play bully ball and throw to our big center forwards. Well, well, it's well. You've just completely mismatched all sorts of so center forwards from soccer. But anyway, um, I, I think we're. I think That's we're why we're doing an at... NFL podcast, man. <laughs> I saw that ship sink in the moment it set yeah, sail. Awesome! I, guess I love that. If, Thank you. If, you miss one hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Power forwards. That was a brick, brother. If you call it, uh, if you're going to say basketball, yeah, it's going to be. I guess it's going to be sort of like a run and gun. Mariota is known for for moving uh, with his legs, and you're right. There are some big bodies there. Uh, listen, they're somewhere in between the Jags and Houston. I, I don't really know. I, I'm probably putting them on the side of the negative, uh, which means that they're sort of closer to the Jags for me. But uh, they're not spending a lot of money like they are. So there must be some kind of plan. But I'll touch on it again. When you lose a Super Bowl like that, that can absolutely gut an organisation. And it doesn't matter if you get rid of the coach, the GM, the quarterback, the players, that hurts. It's been five um, years. How long? How much longer do they need to flush it out? Well, how long has it been since the Essendon Bombers have won a premiership? That's been now 22 years. And there have been some pretty uh, shocking events that for the US listeners, uh, that's the team that I support in the AFL. And uh, they have been very dry for the past two decades because of some pretty uh, horrendous incidents off the field. So, Andy, what do you reckon? Are they are they building the right way or not? Uh, I see, I see some draft picks that are are really good. Um, looking at this defense, Dean Pease, uh, that he's come over from Tennessee with. Uh, Arthur Smith as the from their defensive coordinator, uh, and Rashawn Evans has come along as well. Troy Anderson they brought in. Um, Arnold I, I really, I really, really like the pick of Arnold Ebikiedi. Um, Arnold I Look, that's that's genuine round one talent uh, that they've got in the second there. So look, AJ Terrell was a fantastic. He's proving to be a fantastic draft pick as well. Casey Howard. Um, Casey Hayward, yeah, that's a bit of an interesting one um, because how long has he got left? Was he 33, 32, 33 now? Um, it's, look, it could be a really good experience thing for uh, AJ Terrell, but he's, it doesn't seem to be like a long prospect. So maybe just a sort of stopgap and a good influence to have around. Um, but, look, I I think they're building um, – building a team much better than there than the Jaguars are. So I'll give them a tick on that. Um, I don't know much about Desmond Ritter. I think he'll redshirt this year. I'm really concerned about their quarterback play. Um, and I, I want to see genuine development in Kyle Pitts, but I just don't know if we're going to be um, exposed to that, unfortunately. So Nope. Yeah. All right. Well, the Chargers play the Falcons in week nine at SoFi Stadium, and it's their first game after the bye. I have them winning this game. What about you, Andy? Uh, yes, I have them winning this game as well. Yep, I have them winning. And this is the Casey Hayward Bowl. 
because we obviously from Casey Hayward too. The two nine bowl because he wore the twenty nine. <laughs> we might have to workshop these when this is yeah. That's all right. <laughs> oh, you started it, mate. Well, that leaves us to our last opponent for the twenty twenty two season from the AFC North, uh, the Cleveland Browns. Um, well, what a. I don't know how to even say how, what a period of time for because they have been a dumpster fire for that long. And just when you thought things were going to be sort of okay with Baker Mayfield, everything just finds a way to shit itself. 2021 saw them go eight and nine, miss the playoffs. Uh, and then they trade for Deshaun Watson amid everything that's been going on in his life. And now the verdict's in. Uh, I believe a six-game suspension for Deshaun is is to be handed down. Timely news coming in just set before we sat down to record this, uh, which leaves Jacoby Brissett under centre for the first six weeks, which should be very exciting for Browns fans. Um, I won't get stuck too stuck into the nitty-gritty of the verdict and how it's all handed down and all that. We've well, we've got a resident lawyer here, and he, he's licking his chops to jump at such an opportunity. But, um, yeah, first six games without pay, no additional fine. Um, and I believe he now must use club booked and directed massage facilities for the rest of his career. So that's, I guess, a good way to, to pen the farm animals. Um, you dirty, dirty boy. Uh, he, yeah, like I said, he'll force Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt to call plays for Jacoby Brissett against the likes of the Patriots, the Chargers, Steelers, Jets, Falcons, and most notably, Turning out to be one of the, the more interesting games of week one is um, the Cleveland Browns versus the Baker Mayfield, uh, oh, yeah. assuming he wins Assuming he wins the job over Casper Darnold, uh, the Panthers. Um, <laughs> I kind of wish we were introducing those guys because uh, or breaking down the Panthers. Oh, that's very good. That's what a good quarterback uh, gag that will be. Um, yeah, across the board, look, this Cleveland Browns team is still a fantastic roster. One of, if not the league's best pass rushers in Miles Garrett, an elite coverage unit in the secondary. Um, safeties Grant Delpit, John Johnson, cornerbacks Greedy Williams, Greg Newsom, Denzel Ward. Like they, I think they were ranked number one for coverage last year. They've improved their run defense. They've added Tavon Bryan and Perry on Winfrey in the fourth round. Mm. Um, I think for mine, off- offensively, they're probably a little bit down on last year. Uh, quarterback accepted. Uh, Amari Cooper in for Jarvis Landry and Rashawn Higgins. Don't forget Odell Beckham Jr. Um, went as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Kareem Hunt has requested a trade. So f- further further unrest in this locker room. It's just a real, like I said, it's a, it's a real dumpster, dumpster fire. I think across the board they have, a, they have the tools and the potential, but it's just a matter of, of if they can pull it off and, um, if they can make it happen. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this Cleveland Brown unit? Do you think that the six weeks is irrelevant because Deshaun Watson hasn't even played for that long? Is there anything you want to add particularly on the um, on his case? Or Jack, I'll, go for uh, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in before Alistair and then I'll let you take your your sort of your, your seat at the head of the table on this one. Um I, I, There's a lot of I, I, lot of pressure. I just want to talk about football that I'm being lined up to uh, deliver a fucking jurisprudential analysis, but go on. Working overtime tonight, mate. Listen, you know, if we're speaking of maligned 
organizations, the Cleveland Browns have got to be up there, not in the his, not in only the history of the NFL, but possibly the history of all sport. Uh, they've had some very, very rough times, and, and I do feel very sorry for the supporter base. Uh, I know a couple of Cleveland Brown fans here in Adelaide who I've spoken with about the Deshaun Watson signing and everything that's happened after that. Um, and and both those both those people have decided not to support the Cleveland Browns uh, due, due to due to their choice. So um, I, I find that fascinating, um, not in a not in a positive way. I you know I look at and I listen to Kevin Stefanski speak. I listen to Andrew Berry speak, and I go, wow, these guys are pretty switched on. They're the you know they're Ivy Leaguers, um, but I guess it all comes back to it comes back to. Is it, is it predatory? Is it um, sort of trying to leverage the situation to the best, to, to what suits you and perhaps not what best suits the society or the women involved? Um, did that thought process occur? Did they, uh, did they go through that decision tree about what that, how that looks for the organisation and how that looks for Stefanski and Berry and all the players that now are now going to play with Deshaun Watson? Do they think about how the locker room is going to respond to having someone like Deshaun Watson in? Who is Deshaun Watson now? Is he a different person than he was uh, 18 months ago? How will this play on his mental health? Um, these are all questions that I'd be asking. And uh, to me, it's it's like it's like taking a, a lit box of matches into a gunpowder room. Um, I think you're opening yourself up for so much organiza- more organisational trauma um, you know, Baker Mayfield was the guy two years ago. He was doing all the ads. He was Mr. Cleveland. Now he's gone. They beat Pittsburgh. So, oh, in a playoff game. I just, I, I just don't know. I just can't. How are know. we here? I, it's like walking to the North Pole and trying to find North, and the, the the compass is just going around in circles. Just going. I, I can't get a read on them. I, I thought they were putting things together a couple of years ago. That's all I've really got to say on that, Alistair. What do you mm. think? You have to address the Deshaun Watson issue because it's it's relevant big picture to the sport. It's also relevant bottom up to how the Browns are going to be because at the moment he's out for six weeks, but it could be a lot longer because the NFL's appealed. I think it's hard to um, you know define what what is justice, like what what does justice mean in a case like this? It's a fraught concept because there's often two sides to a story and it's very difficult to have an objective factual basis or record to determine what really occurred in certain instances. So when I think of justice, I think of due process. Has there been an opportunity for the parties to bring their case and have everything determined and get a fair hearing and a fair decision based on the rule of law? And in this instance, you've had both sides given the opportunity to present their case to Judge Sue Robinson. She made a determination that six weeks was appropriate. Having read that decision, and I know you two might have also had a glance, it is strikingly difficult to reconcile aspects of it because on the one hand, she essentially accepts that the NFL has proved its case, that there were 60-odd masseurs over the course of 18 months that Watson would text them, not worried about their credentials, and he'd meet with them. More than 20 of them have complained and brought civil lawsuits against him. Of those, the NFL interviewed 12 of them. Of those, the NFL only relied on four of them during the proceeding. And of those four, the judge was comfortable that for those four, Deshaun intentionally 
and sorry to say this, intentionally uh, kind of pressed or gestured his penis towards them, knowing it was unwanted. And, um, you know, th th those are quite serious findings to make. The judge found that uh, he had breached the NFL player policy in three meaningful ways, that he brought the NFL into disrepute, that he had perpetrated a form of assault. Yet then she essentially looks at similar cases that have occurred in the NFL over years and what kinds of punishments were given out for those cases, domestic violence, violence in general, sexual-related violence. And she thought six games was double the amount that has ever been given for something approximating this conduct. Mm. Now, I say I understand why a judge would take that approach because the job is really to kind of place the conduct in the context of other things that have happened. That's, that's you know, part of the ju judicial role. But then you also have an opportunity to really to apply a modern day lens to this type of offending. And I was, I thought it was difficult to reconcile the fact that she was convinced that these, thing, these things happened, but because of an absence of what she thought was physical violence, six weeks was appropriate. So I make no comment about what actually occurred, but the fact that she found that these things did occur but thought six weeks was an appropriate sentence, I think is, uh, yeah. I mean, I understand why the NFL would appeal because to me that is manifestly inadequate as a sentence. So we'll find out. There will be appeal, uh, an appeal. There might then be a further appeal from Deshaun's team and he could miss the whole season. He could. He's not going to miss less than six games because uh, my understanding is because he's legal team essentially accepted the judge's decision and didn't appeal it that is now the minimum that he can face which means the charges don't face him but i agree with everything you said jack about what it means for the organization H how is deshaun as a quarterback now he's going to get boos and negative press and giving press conferences after games is going to be interesting yeah it, mm. it's um it's an incredible sequence of events that's taken this team from a nice hot shot young head coach, first round draft pick quarterback. Things are going well. They're winning. Nick Chubb, they're winning a playoff game. Now they're trading for a person, you know, accused of doing all sorts of awful things. So, yes, that that's my take on it all. Do you, do you care to offer anything on that particular issue, Andy, or do you want to focus on something closer to what the Browns will bring on the field. What do you think? Uh, no, I certainly don't want to add anything more other than I, I agree that if what is she, what she's found is correct, I, I, I think that it's absolutely fair enough that the NFL will appeal this. It doesn't make sense to me on paper that if you've done these things six weeks and no fine, because the way that his contract's structured, he's, I, I said at the start, uh, no fine, but suspension without pay. The way his contract's structured, he's set to make bugger all this year. His cap hits like 50-odd million next year. So they've, they've been very smart and gone, look, you know, we'll help you out, all that sort of stuff. I might say less about the, the Cleveland head office, but I won't, won't make uh, assumptions there. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, one thing for me is, you could see that there were moments in the years past with the Cleveland Browns that it, it it could work the way that, you know, Stefanski and the offense was working. It could work. They have the pieces to make it work. 
was it Baker Mayfield that was the issue? I was always sort of more pro Baker Mayfield. Was it his fault? Because he, he always had fights about wanting to call plays and there was always communication breakdowns, breakdowns on the field. Um, you know, do, do you think that once all of this blows over, be it after six weeks, do you think that they could start to become um, a real threat again? Oh, sorry, not again. A real, you know, a, a potential threat. I do. I do. I yeah. think that I do. I do if, as well. Yeah. If they can get through this with Jacoby Brissett or whoever plays quarterback three and three, yeah, they have enough huge. time to do well with Deshaun Watson. They still have an incredible running back room. They they mm. were first in the league on rush yards per attempt. Uh and, and their room is Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Dearness Johnson, and they draft a guy, Jerome Ford, who's a good scat back. Very strong yeah. part of their team. On Look defense. At the God, oh, Miles, Miles Garrett, game. Clowney, who whatever Clowney's, they got Chase Winovich. Owosu Koromoa. Oh, God, that guy was a freak last year. That guy had freakish aptitude. And as you said, Andy, Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, Newsom, Delpit, and they've got John Johnson. God, that's stacked. That's they stacked. were fifth, fifth in the league for points allowed last year. So they're the fifth best defense. That's, yeah. that's what I mean. They've got the pieces. It's just a matter of and, – and bear in mind as well, Deshaun Watson hasn't played for, you know, year and a half now so there'll be probably teething issues as well mm. well i see us taking taking this w taking the win here um like you said in the last and sorry in the dolphins contest al uh it's the sort of that's the one kind of game and i just can't ever forget i was up in byron bay on the the north new south wales coast a, a few years ago christmas the browns sucked and it was christmas morning and I got up, I was with with family, got up at 4.30 in the morning, and then I watched the Chargers lose to the winless Browns, a game that we couldn't lose, and it categorically ruined Christmas. So I've just got that monkey on the back. Even though, you know, we had that oh, shootout win last year, um, I, I, I could have said that this could have been that game if Deshaun was playing, but Jacoby Brissett, Sorry, mate, you don't cut the mustard. Um, we'll splash it out and get the W. Yep. Jack? Yep. W for me. W for me as well. Chargers win. Yep. Fantastic. All right. Well, guys, that uh, that will wrap up our opponent series for uh, this preseason, the preseason of season 2022. It's been uh, very fun to break down these teams, see what's going on and what we're facing coming up against. Um well, joint practices start with the Dallas Cowboys next week, and then we're straight into oh, – sorry, this week coming, and then we're straight into preseason week one, three of that, a week off, and then it's the season. Football's back, baby, and we couldn't be more excited to, to ride the wave with you. Thanks again for, for joining us today. Um, guys, unless there's anything further from you, I think we'll see you next time on the Thunder Down Under Chargers podcast. See you later, guys. Yeah. Bye. See you all.